Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. This is our first episode of the new year, 2016. And I realized that we've been focusing a lot on hip-hop and my friends in the rap community, but, you know, that's only a, a small part of my life as a musician, and I think there's a lot more different kind of stories to be told, so uh, I'm going to try to bring in uh, a greater variety of, of different kinds of artists and, and uh, people who uh, have made an impact in my creative life in some way. So we're going to start out with uh, the proprietor of Sprout City Studios, my old friend Thaddeus Moore. Also, a side note, I apologize this keeps happening, but I had a cable crap out today and there is a slight buzz in the interviewee's mic channel. How you doing, man? What up? <laughs> I uh, were saying you haven't probably been here in a decade. Yeah, Sounds something about right. close to, it, like, I think right at 10 years. Most so. of our collaborations have been at your place, because it's much nicer. <laughs> well, it's just, uh, I, ha I have a tendency to hang out there a lot. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I kind of live in my own little cave there. So. Yeah. Um, man, I think, um, I think it's probably been a couple years, because I, I think the last time I was there, um, yeah. I was, I was, having uh, trouble mastering one of my records and yeah you, you had gave a me really, some pointers really good thing with gabe that was awesome oh that too yeah the yeah. illusionist thing yeah yeah that was yeah, dope that was fun yeah. um so you have been doing sprout city studios here in eugene for what 15 years something like that 18 years 18 years just, in september of last year just turned 18 it's crazy That's to awesome. think about it's like i've got a 18 year old getting in trouble out there borrowing my car keys. <laughs> yeah, it's your baby. <laughs> well, I've started to add a lot of other engineers in there so that the, the weight of running the studio isn't all on my back anymore. And that's been great. It's kind of like it is growing up, you know, it's becoming its own device rather than me having to be like the central figure. Yeah. There can be a lot of different people doing work out of there now. So there's a lot. I've got six active engineers and a bunch of other people in the wings so it's booked a lot more than it used to be just with me. So it's great. That's cool. And yeah. I, I kind of remember hearing that from, uh, I think, Ryan Kojin and some people. Yeah, um, Ryan was that, working there for a little bit. Yeah, some friends that I knew yeah. that, that had, uh, you know, worked something out with you so uh, they could start building their own business through your your place as well. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. That's something I recommend to anybody who wants to do it is instead of having to put up all the money to build your own studio, unless unless you've got a situation like this where you want to be able to work at any time that you feel inspired to work, that's something completely yeah, different. Yeah. But if, if you're going to be working with other people's music and you're going to be having other clients coming, it's kind of sketchy having some people at your house, which I'm sure you've probably experienced. <laughs> I have, you know. Yep. So like, if you're an engineer who knows, who has a competency of some level, or if you want to get training working with other engineers, the best place to do that is at an existing studio. That way, if you do want to put money into it, you can buy microphones that travel with you. You can get good mic preamps that travel with you. Yep. And then you can bring them to whatever studio you want to work at. So that's, I mean, from my point of view, that's the future of the business model, is that it's really hard to make a studio profitable. But as an engineer, if you can work with artists that then say, hey, this guy's really fun to work with, like whatever studio you happen to be working at at the time could be your playground. So you think maybe so, like... Uh a freelance style engineer is probably 
going to be where, where things are headed? Well, for, in my opinion, there's always going to be people who are house people that that's their thing. Like this is their studio. That's where they work. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, like this, this was created out of necessity really. Cause, right. um, y- you know, I was, I crank out so much material yeah. that it's impossible right. to try to uh, do that at somebody else's place you know i've already totally practically bankrupted <laughs> myself this way right <laughs> you know? just I mean, to just to press them and release them also plus with a situation like this you've put the money in the right places in my opinion like i've seen a lot of people build home studios where they dumped tons of money into stupid shit that wasn't really going to help them make better records yeah like, here i have yeah. i have very <laughs> few things but right. i have the best drums the best guitars the best amps. There you go. A couple of decent mics. And, you know, for what I do, that's all that I need. You what know? else? I mean. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I tell people, uh, y- you know, if, if um, depending on the record you're trying to make. Right. You know, there's so many better people in this town than me. But if you're trying to make a punk rock record, right? There you I'm go. your fucking Boom. guy. Boom! <laughs> yeah, know? totally. That's. I mean, that's the only other. That's the drawback from working in your home space is that typically you're not going to have the same kind of acoustic space. Like you might have well treated. Like in here feels really nice and dead, but maybe you want a live room. Maybe you want something that's got a lot of reflections and something you can throw a mic in the corner and have a big roomy tone. Yeah, room mics do nothing here. Right. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's a trade off. And but I mean, is it worth it for your project? You know, yeah. Like, if you're trying to get something done on the cheap, it just doesn't make sense to go to a studio. But at the same time, like it's one of the reasons that I've been teaching classes for 11 years now on it is that I want to help empower people to learn more about how to get better sounds on their own so that they're not always beholden to just trying to figure it out on their own. Yeah. And they don't have to go to a studio if they don't have the budget for it. But at some point, you know, at some point it's nice to pay a plumber to do your plumbing for you. It is. And sometimes I'll hire out somebody else to mix a project. If I've, (laughs) if I've been working on it for six months and, and I'm, you know, I'm finally done recording it and I just can't bear to listen to it anymore. It's like, you know what, maybe, (laughs) maybe I'll let somebody else deal with this thing right now. I can't even see the forest anymore. I'm looking at the bark on the trees. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, and I, I think that, that everybody's process is probably kind of different because I know some people that are totally, you know, DIY, built their own place, as you have. I know people that um, are people who went through conservatories and maybe they went to Full sale or something like that and they, and they took that route and then they interned at a studio. Um, you know, and there's people like myself who just set up a bunch of shit in their house and keep tearing it down and rebuilding and moving and changing until you figure it out. Um, I've always been more of the tinkering type, but uh, what, what was it that made you want to start Sprout City 18 years ago? Um, I have kind of a Forrest Gump entry story okay this whole business is that i really didn't know what i was doing i mean i i knew that i wanted to be involved in the music business somehow because music was the only thing that kept me sane most of the time i mean yeah i know a lot of us feel that way so you know being a drummer i'm not a great drummer i don't consider myself that i mean if i put the time into it like a lot of guys do they sit and they practice and they do paradiddles all day long maybe i could do something with it but I'm not the type of person who's drawn to do that. I like playing with other people, but I hardly ever practice on my own. And I I think to be a really good drummer, you have to do that. So 
for me though, I'm practicing engineering stuff on my own all the time. Like when I have days off, I'm reading tape op or technical manuals or website like lists of weird microphones and shit. So like that's the stuff that I'm attracted to naturally. And this studio thing, I never really wanted to own a studio. I just randomly had a friend who was like, hey, you know how you're talking about getting an internship at a studio? And I was like, yeah. He's like, let's get a place where we can make a rehearsal space and have a recording studio and we'll have our own space that we could maybe even rent out to other people. And I was like, this sounds baller. Let's do it. Yeah. And we did it, but it turned into this big mess. There was all this personal drama and older guys that were flaking out on us because we had this older partner that really you know, didn't know as much about stuff as he said he did. And he flaked out on us a bunch. And we were just kind of like, ah, I was 19 at the time. Like, I really yeah. just didn't have the business or any kind of concept of what needed to happen. But eventually, after a couple of years of really trying to get somewhere with it, it just forced my hand into really learning how to do what I was doing. And I think you came in to that studio probably the first time I met you was probably about five years in. Right? Yeah, it was it was 14 years ago, almost exactly. Right. Because we, we did that in January of 02. So that's when I started to get decent at what I was doing. Like, mm-hmm. So luckily you didn't have to fight through like me figuring stuff out as much. There was probably a little bit of that, but not as much well, as there was prior. I, I don't know <laughs> so, I don't know what you remember from that. I don't when, remember when much. I was in When I was in high school, uh, my, my punk band was EPD. Right. And um, we had one uh, studio experience prior to that. We made an EP at Dogwood. Right, Dogwood. And then um, for our full length, I can't remember who we heard of you through. I think maybe Capcom Suicide or somebody like that. But yeah, so we we went to Sprout City and uh, we did 16 songs in like two days or something stupid. You know, it was was ridiculous. (laughs) And um, to us, it was like a big deal. And we had all of our friends come down there and do the group shouts and all this. And I just remember it being one of those things where I was constantly trying to reel everybody in. Because I was always the guy who wanted to make the record. And they were always just like, fuck it, let's write songs and play shows. you know. So when we make the record, everyone's just fucking around. And we were there when you did the mix for some fucking reason. Yeah, I learned a good lesson from that. Yeah, I remember us all being in there. And at one point... Uh, you just like stood up. You're the super nice, passive kind of guy. And we're like, you guys need to shut the fuck up or get out right now. And <laughs> I was like, like God damn it, guys. <laughs> this is not how I wanted this to go. Um, I was but, like, I love you, but I'll kill every one of you. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I yeah. think I took that uh, to heart too because I've never let a band come in here while I'm doing the post stuff. I'm always yeah. like, no, nah, man, I'll send it to you. If yeah. you have any notes, let me know. <laughs> well, the way I frame it now is like you you're hiring me to build your house for you. Like yep. you have the blueprint. I'm following the b- blueprint. I will come in, I will frame it, I will build it up really nice and pretty. I'll put up all the sheetrock and make it sexy on the inside. You guys come back and you pick the paint colors. Yeah. You know, like we can do fine adjustments at the end, but let let me do the the house building without you freaking out because there's some artists, man, when you have them in the room, there's some artists that refuse to not be there when you're doing the mix. They just are too precious about it. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to name names, but there's been some big name people up in my grill where I'm <laughs> like, like, I would just be soloing out a reverb, for example, trying mm-hmm. to get de- decay time on a reverb correct to the rhythm of the song or whatever. Yeah. And they're just spazzing out right next to me going, 
what did you do to my voice? Why does that sound so weird? What's happening? And I just have to be like, no, calm down. It, I'm not, this isn't what your record's going to sound like. <laughs> just let me do my thing. And, you know, you, you when that's the case, you kind of have to find a rep, you know, you have to find a, a way to work through those kinds of issues. And my issue with that is that I'd rather just kick you to the curb and have you come back and listen to the final mix or give you a disc and you go listen yeah. to it and give me refinements. But not everybody's into that. And you get and, every every band member sitting over your shoulder going, oh, can yeah. I get more of me? Can I, can I get uh, more of me, please? Yeah, there's this one <laughs> album where I, it was like a full... Like we had been working on it for like two months and finally the mix was really dialed. It felt really good. And then this bass player was totally hands off for the whole thing. And finally he just kind of snuck in one day. He didn't tell everybody else like he they all booked a studio day but then he like told everybody else that it was canceled or something and so only he showed up and he was working with me and he was like yeah everybody wants the bass up on all the songs and so i went and i turned up the bass i was like really this seems like it's overwhelming to me yeah. like are you sure like i feel like the balance that we had was really nice and he's like no everybody's pretty serious about it and then the next day i just get this flood of phone calls from everybody and i was like oh my god yeah sorry let's just go back to where i had it <laughs> <laughs> I'll make some more adjustments to see if I can figure out what he's missing. But, oh, man. So bands bring a little bit of drama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, I would imagine the same thing's true in hip-hop crews. I mean, I don't know if you work with many other people in here. but Well, I haven't the last few years. Currently, I am uh, starting to, to take some jobs again. I'm doing a record for The Architects, which is a six-member rap crew. So here? that yeah, so that's okay. that's been interesting because I've known the guys for years, but it's like you get any combination of two or three of them showing up at a time with stuff that sometimes they're still writing right here on the spot, you know, and right. it's so it's a crazy process sometimes. But Do they I've, have um, their own music, or are they pulling beats off of YouTube like a lot of? Oh them? no, no, no! Okay. I mean, it's it's, they're making it's professional own. stuff. Where uh, like in this in this group, they do have producers that make their own tracks, but in on this record, they're um, they've hired out a guy to do all the music for this one. Awesome. So, you know, that's that's more often than not how how things go. Like, if you are stealing beats and putting it on a legit release, that you're not a mixtape or crediting it or something like that as like a it's this weak. is a side thing just for fun or a whatever, right. you know? Because you know, I've done that uh, just as like a free thing for for fun. I don't think that's a problem. But, but if if you're banking on that that's a well, I won't work with that it's one of the things I I've had to kind of talk to a lot of artists about too is like you know somebody made this music and yeah I mean you should contact somebody paid them. 10 grand for this beat right <laughs> or there the guy who made it is just sitting at home like working his ass off at some job he hates and you're he doesn't even know that you love his beat you yeah. just you know you get you got to get in touch with these people everybody i've had do that and who's got in touch with the producer it made the producer's day they wanted something ridiculously cheap like 20 bucks to use the beat oh, really? so, yeah it's it's like well they have these weird licensing things yeah right. where like they'll they'll let numerous people use the same track which is totally. also crazy to me but but what, hey, you know, it's it's a completely new world as far as that's concerned. There's more music being created in every week than there was the entire, like, past couple of years prior right now on the yeah. planet. There's more music happening every day than we can fathom. <laughs> so I believe like, it, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, 
who cares if the same beats used twice in different parts of the world? Nobody's ever going to know, you know, maybe somebody somewhere is going to be like, Hey, you know what? There's this one hook, but as long, you know, as long as the people who make the beat are getting represented well. Well, let's, let's, let's go back. So, uh, the early days of Sprout City, oh, um, yeah. you That's had that, uh, uh, falling out and you kind of took over the whole thing, mm-hmm. got through a couple years of growing pains. So five years in, Five years in, yeah. You were at what point then? Um, I was probably making about 75 to 80% of my income out of just the studio, which mm-hmm. was a nice place to finally be at, but I was still working other odd jobs whenever I could. Yeah. Um, and I, in a way, I still do that because I'm still taking live sound gigs that sometimes I don't want to, mm-hmm. but the money's good. And I, you know, if I have a free date, I'll go do a gig, you know, setting up a large scale PA system, running sound, and then taking it down. Wait, whatever. I just remembered you came to Warp Tour with us when we played yep. Warp Tour. You recorded I our. Yep. Yeah, I did Warp Tour with you guys. Yeah. Which was. 2003. Yeah. Weird. That was another thing about Capcom that I'm so bummed. Those guys were actually got to go on the Warp Tour, mm-hmm. but right before they fizzled out. Like mm-hmm. they would have been going on the Warp Tour that sucks, with man. the new little four track thing that they did. I don't know if you ever got to hear that last four songs. They never released Polanski it. Polanski played me some of the stuff they were working on. It's great. It was the best stuff they'd ever done. Oh, yeah. Personally, I was just like, this is amazing. Every song was just like epic. Yeah. You know, great arrangements. And, and, and but anyway, yeah. but five years into the studio, it was still a mess. Like I still was figuring out stuff. There was a lot of growing pains with the technology at the time too, because we had this fucking ADATs. Like, Oh yeah. yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but that was like the worst thing ever. Like I just wanted to shoot them every day. Cause we use, we use ADATs with you. And then I did, we did our next couple EPD records with uh, Eric Munch and, and he was running uh, ADATs too. So he probably has just as much like hatred towards them as I do. I'm sure just uh, having yeah. to deal with them for so long. I mean, I had three of them stacked to do 24 tracks at a time, uh-huh. and it would take sometimes upwards of full 20 seconds of back and forth time before all three tapes would line up to be in time. It's just like <laughs> oh, man. I would have to back up like through an entire verse in a punk song to get to the chorus punch and that he needed. Yeah, it was just I'm so thankful that those days are over. Can't handle it. So I I remember one thing that set you apart from other studios was that you yourself was active in the scene. Like you were around, you were at shows, you were at uh, music stores, you were passing out your cards. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere as a band and not see Sprout City somewhere or have another band talking about it, just work with you. Um, Was that, it seemed like a real conscious thing that you were like, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to make this thing happen. It was, it's the only way I was able to survive, man. Because at that point, like I'm telling you when you're, you know, not coming from means, you know, I didn't grow up with like a silver spoon or anything. Like I, I did this entire studio on credit cards. Yeah. And like, so at the point that everything started to fall apart, it was about two and a half, three years in when everybody t- kind of left and it was just me. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had a lot of debt of overhead that I had already sunk into this that I couldn't really get back out of the situation unless I pushed on through and made it into something real for me. Yeah. And I said, I'm just going to give it a couple more years and I'm just going to do everything I can. And so I was really hardcore, like trying to meet as many people as I could and just you know, learning about the aspects of business that you have to do just by the only way you can learn it is by doing it. And I had a lot of trouble. I had a lot of like people lie to me. I had a lot of like misunderstandings in communication that, you know, hopefully I never have again. But like, 
those are all things that you have to do to get started in this business is like learn everything with lumps. You know, it's like, oh, crap. These yeah. guys did not follow through on what they said they were going to do. Or I totally let these people down because of X, Y, and Z or whatever, you know, like stuff you just learn as you get older. You just pick up things. You're like, that's not cool. That that right there, I'm going to avoid that situation in the yeah. future. You know, stuff like that. So, I mean eventually you know 10 years in it was fully doing everything i wanted it to be doing so in when it, 2007 would have been 10 years in and i had been really lucky i'd gotten to work with some of my favorite artists and i'd done a bunch of really great records people were hiring me as a producer to help them produce their own work and i was just great for me and it's just been growing ever since like i've been learning a lot more about the physics of sound and about the the whys why people have chosen the circuit designs for the different types of mic preamps and microphones and a lot of the tech stuff in the background that i was always curious about i've just been kind of learning more and more about it yeah and at this point like i'm doing mostly mastering work like that's one of my favorite things to do now for the last like six seven years i've been doing a lot more of that so so, so you uh, it seemed like somewhere around the point that you had kind of a changing of the guard and started bringing in um, more younger engineers to run their projects, you were able to step back and go, all right, this is what I really want to yeah, do. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm hoping. And how has that, <laughs> See how how has that been going? The mastering so far, thing? it's okay. So far, yeah. it's it's what I want it to be. But it's a very challenging marketplace. I mean, it's a worldwide shift in music technologies happening right now underneath us. So what are people willing to pay that's going to make it worth all these expenses that I keep incurring to build this? I'm building a new mastering studio right now. It's like, am I going to be able to pay off all the money I'm laying out for that within three to five years? Yeah. I, but if I can, it would be fantastic. It would let me set a lot more of my own schedule. Since then, I've had a kid. I, I've got a four-year-old now, so it's nice to be able mm -hmm. to be more of a parent. You know, I, I want to spend more time at home so I can be there with him as he's growing up because yeah. you really only get one shot at that. Like, I can do somebody's album when he's in school or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't have, and that's the, the, what's good about mastering. In most of the cases, it's non-client attended sessions for me. So I can work anywhere around the clock as long as I've got access to a good studio space where I've got, you know, proper tuned monitors and all the plugins and the outboard gear that I need. And this new studio is going to be awesome. So are it's you building a, a separate control room from what you have now? Is it? I'm built. It's at a completely different location. It's oh, okay. up in the hills, like out outside of all the city power wub 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 stuff. That so that'll just be your, your private uh, mastering studio. Well, I mean, I might eventually want to get a second engineer in on that as well. Somebody else who's got the mastering touch, but it's it, you know, mastering is a very particular thing. I mean, anybody can do it. Let me just say that I'm not a snooty guy about it, but I'm saying like in order to really approach it with a professionalism that one would expect from from somebody you hire for such a thing, yeah. it takes a level of attitude that's, you know, if you look at the mastering equipment, if you guys just look at, you know, some sort of a magazine like Sweetwater or Tape Op or something, and you look at gear that's specifically for mastering, you might notice that the price tags are often four to ten times as much yeah. as the same kind of a thing for recording or mixing or whatever. Mm -hmm. So 
the reason is, is that there's a level of detail. It's kind of like in tool making, like if you're making a really fine saw and you need the saw blade to have no more travel than like one thirty second of an inch or something, you know, like making a saw that has really fine control over it takes a lot more money than just making some saw that's meant to rip boards to put up in a framing. You know, yeah. it's a completely different tool. So those tools take a lot more money to build, really. And that's one of the things is like you walk into a mastering studio and everything in there is like top of the line because yeah. you don't want to impart a whole lot of sonic characteristics unless you want to from those pieces of gear. You want them to just be like wire with a little bit of control, you yeah. know? So, but I mean, I, th some of the choices I've made in my purchasing for the, some of the gear that I've gotten for mastering has been for its sauce because it yeah. has a cool color, but you know, there's also just a ton of awesome plugins now. We're living in the yeah, golden era definitely. for plugins. It's fantastic. And and so. personally, when I uh, go to a certain um, engineer for for whatever purpose, I do it because I know that person has got this sound that I really want to get. You know, right. whatever situation it is. Um, and uh, so I I think that that's good that you're investing in this stuff and um finding some some things that have a really cool palette that you haven't got to play with before totally um because that's the stuff that's going to stand out um now when when you've been doing this the last few years what is the demographic for mastering because if people are listening to this and maybe they're not as familiar with the recording process um basically you have uh, uh the recording where everyone comes in, they do their performances. Um, it's our job to capture that on tape. And uh, the mixing process where you take all those little ingredients, um, every little instrument, every little piece of the drum set, and every little backup vocal, and you, you put it together and, and um, you know, make sure that everything has the right sound and blends in the right place. And then uh, when it comes to mastering, it's really uh, uh, just the 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 finishing details, the seasoning on top. And so are you getting people that have recorded and mixed at Sprout City and they're coming to you? Are you getting people that recorded and mixed in their home and now they're coming to you? Or what is the... Yes. What, I mean, <laughs> All of what do you that. see most of? Well, mostly what I'm getting is work from around the world, really, because people in other countries find my website and they say, oh, this sounds good. And send me files over the internet, I oh. do my thing to it and send it back to them. So okay. I've, I've been lucky, man. I've done albums for people in Croatia and Italy and Morocco wow. and Scotland. And it's great. And that's what I'm. That's why I want to do more of that is because it opens me up to a whole new global market of music that I've, I would never get exposed to here. Yeah. And I've been working with some really interesting stuff. Weird shit, too, sometimes. I but, bet, yeah. But, like, really cool stuff. There's There's been a couple of things that have been mind-bogglingly cool. But um, the, I've done everything from, like, just a home recordist who doesn't really know what they're doing with a camera and they're trying to make a YouTube video sound better. Okay. Like, f making the audio more balanced for a YouTube video. I mean, I'll do any sort of finalization. I'm not going to be snobby about which clients I take on. You mm -hmm. know, I just want to, I want to make sure that I'm able to take on whatever I take on. You know, I don't want to say I can do something I can't, but 
so far it's all been great and I feel like every session I'm learning something really valuable it's I it's just a natural progression for me right now because I've been doing recording and engineering for you know 19 20 years since before I started the studio I was doing live sound and stuff mm -hmm. and now I'm just at a point where I hear all this stuff at a very fine level of detail that it's kind of like bothering me on certain people's things and I want to help like yeah. here if you could just and one of the things about mastering just to answer your question before like what is the thing it's like when you know when you're mixing a song you're kind of like in that universe of that song and then when you go to another song you're in the universe of that song and then when you slap them all together for an ep or an album or whatever mm -hmm. you might have very different kind of tonal structure levels overall you might have different sounding kick drums that don't play nice with each other yep. like from song to song to song and so mastering kind of helps blend all that together into one more contiguous way of listening to it in some ways like we've kind of just hit the wall of the loudness war and everybody's starting to realize that you don't need to brick wall the shit out of it's everything it's reeling in a little bit yeah it is it's nice it's great for me I've, I've been educating every one of my clients i'll be like here check this out i have a website all about why you shouldn't over compress your stuff but mm -hmm. if you really want me to i mean we're in a service business. I want to make them happy. If that's what they want, I can't tell them not to want that. Yeah. But I can say, here's some education on why 20 years from now, your album's going to sound really weird. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you know that 80s snare sound we make fun of now? This yeah. is this yeah. era's like weird sounding shit because, I mean, you're just squashing the life out of something that doesn't, it, it's not gaining you anything. Yeah. So, I mean... Just let the volume knob have its day, you know? Like, yeah. let the listener choose at what volume well, they want to listen to. And, and if it is well-mastered, right. then the consistency is key. And I, I talk right. a lot uh, with, with uh, other musician friends of mine about um, the flow of the album and the sequencing and, and things like that being so important because it doesn't matter how good your songs are if it doesn't have any sort of consistency or if it doesn't take you on some sort of journey when you're listening to the album you know if it just like abruptly shifts back and forth and up and down that's not my thing you know i mean it depends um, on the music too i mean like death grips those guys don't give a sure, fuck sure you know? like, i mean but, there's, but, there's people know. that defy well i okay yeah. i even remember when i brought in <laughs> so, um, a sample of uh the side project i was doing called asshole extraordinaire to your place and i was like man i'm having a hard time mastering this thing because it's just so just the egregious amount of guitars on this thing were <laughs> disgusting, you know? And you're like, yeah, well, you should really just carve out a little space for the vocal and do this and this. And I'm like, yeah, no, no I know I'm making it wrong. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah. <right>. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> There's also one of the things, one of the projects you brought me, I remember when I did some treatment to it and I said, well, this is something I would approach when I showed it to you. You were like, I don't like it. And I was like, okay, well, it's a very subjective thing. Like yeah. you have a vision in your mind. And if I hear it and I say, well, it just seems like there's a little too much 230 Hertz or something Yeah. overall, maybe you're like, well, that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted it to be rumbly in your tumbly, you know, yeah. like I want yeah. something weird going on there that makes you feel like, oh man, I'm getting slammed in the face with these guitars or whatever. And that's the thing is that 
just because a mastering engineer hears a thing that maybe sounds overzealous and cuts it back a little bit mm. doesn't mean you as the artist are going to be stoked that they did that. And that's a good mastering engineer, in my opinion, has a back and forth about that kind of stuff and says, yeah, definitely. Uh, you and, know, like, and that, that was such a weird project for me. I remember uh, sending it to uh, a few people and getting their takes on it and they were all way different because it was such a weird uh, sounding <laughs> record so, that everyone kind of did a different thing to it and we're all uh, like I we don't know what the fuck to do with yeah this exactly thing. and i was like well <laughs> I, this is gonna be an interesting one but um that again that's that's one of those things where i'll know like if i just can't figure out how to clean this thing up or how to whatever you know i would call you and be like okay help me with this thing and if i've got something that is just like uh filthy nasty thing i'm gonna send that to munch because <laughs> he, he has that that uh uh same vision for noisy angry things as i do yeah. <laughs> um he's but, like uh, you need this kind of distortion or whatever you also though do courses through lcc teaching engineers yeah on well, how far does that go? Is it is it the the bare basics or is it um, uh, a multi tiered program? Well, I have uh, program? three different things. I've got my fundamentals of audio engineering, and that was I actually just taught the first class of the series last night for this term. Okay. And tonight I have the first class of the intermediate intermediate, which some people who I've never met before are taking it that took classes back in the day at Arizona or whatever, and they just want mm -hmm. a refresher. And then other, most of the other people are other almost engineers, like interns at other studios, interns at my studio, people who've already taken the first class that I offered who want more hands-on. And we're going to talk about mic technique, about different placements and like phase and dynamic range and all that kind of crazy stuff that you know, you can't really get into in a basics class. And then there's the third thing, which is, it's really the only way to really get your hands on stuff is to actually record a freaking band, like yeah. have a band come in, set up a drum set, listen to the drums, figure out how you're going to deal with that hot mess and like put <laughs> the whole rest of the band in the room and get everybody's headphones situated and deal with all the egos and make sure everybody's got snacks and coffee. So nobody hurts each other. Yeah. You know, like, so I have workshops where I have a band that needs a demo where I offer them a good deal to allow my students to actually be the ones that place the mics. And we, it takes a little longer than a normal day would because, you know, there's a lot of education going on. But it's usually But they're awesome getting for the, a deal on it, so they're cool with it. They're cool with it. They're happy to be there. They learn something because they're standing in the wings listening. And it's oh, it, yeah, it yeah. works out great. I think it's a really fun thing. And typically with those things, I have way more students interested in doing those workshops than I have bands that, that have the need for that. So yeah. it's something that I haven't been very good at putting out to the community. But I always need more bands. I need bands that want to do... So the deal is, I don't know if it matters for this thing, but yeah, it's go ahead. 200 bucks a day for the band to do a five song EP. Mm -hmm. Like we try to get five songs laid down fully, like whatever is going to go into them. And that can even mean some overdubs, but typically it's more, if it's a better process if they try to get as much done as they can live, like try to record it as yeah. if they're playing a show. And so then I have four students plus me and each one of us gets to mix one of those songs. And at the end oh. of the day, they have something. And I'll make sure that, you know, it's not 
gonna suck and yeah. the band gets the raw files if they want to take it home and mix it themselves or they can come back another time and mix it with me or whatever mm-hmm. you know so it's worked out pretty well every time we've done it but that's cool um yeah so those are the three different levels of classes that i teach and they're they're all different you know each group of people brings on its own kind of consciousness like some people are way more interested in figuring out why live sound at their specific place like their church or their club or whatever they've got going on sounds so terrible and we'll spend time working on that kind of thing or whatever but i mean those classes have been really good for me too i've learned a lot by helping other people figure out stuff it's like one of the best ways to learn is to be like well what is this? What's the answer to this question? Well, first we got to answer this, this, and this, and yeah. you know, <laughs> it's it's weird, but it's cool. I dig it. I think that's that's great, and it's it's a good opportunity for uh, uh, y- young bands as well. Um, if if somebody wanted to contact you about being one of those demo bands, hit me uh, up anytime. What what? Just wh- go what to SproutCity.com and use the contact form. SproutCity.com. Okay, yeah. cool. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty ongoing. There's pretty much time every month for one of those sessions if people wanted to do it that often. Cool. And I, I think that would be great uh, just even being, you know, the, the, the musician in the room because I learned um, so much just by being in the room with guys like you, guys like Eric Munch, uh, 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 Jeff Olson, um, you know, any number of, of people I've recorded at a lot of different places, uh, John Kelney, um, and, and, and I would always, uh, be watching and listening, you know, um, sponging it up. Yeah. Yeah. Because, (laughs) um, you know, you're, you're probably the same way where, um, when you were in love with this certain album, maybe growing up and I'm sure to this day, but, but even back then before you were doing it, you were probably going, God, this snare sounds amazing. You're like, who produced this album? Who engineered this? And you're like, ah, oh, he's the guy with that sound, you know? And then you start going through your yeah. other ones, and you're like, oh, he did this one too, right? you know? And uh, I always had that that curiosity, not so much the, um, uh, you know, go to school for it and, and do all that stuff, but like dig my hands into the soil and, and feel it out, you know? And... Uh, uh, I, I always enjoyed working with different people because you would see their different approaches on the same thing. And uh, I, I, I definitely retain things from the later sessions I did with you with This Day's End because um, I remember having a very specific plan for it. And you were like, yeah, but <laughs> how about this? And so when we mic'd up the room because we recorded the band live and when we mic'd the, up the room and the amps and everything... I remember that we both had our way. That w- that was the thing. We were like, "All right, fine. Let's let's do it all and see what Why what, not? what comes out in mixing." And you so can there always were, mute there were, something. Yeah, yeah you and know? so there were there were <laughs> things like... that that I had done, uh, you know, for years prior to that that I threw out the window after that point, or there were things that, um, you know, that I knew I wanted that did stay. Um, but but that was a that was a great collaborative moment in in figuring out like. Um, two different ways to approach the same record you know um i don't know i just always uh uh appreciate um getting those different points of view that's why i like doing things like this um you know maybe not all about recording but uh just just getting everyone's um got parallels in their stories 
in music, you know? Totally. Um, when you, how long have you been playing drums? Since I was 15. So I've got my first drum kit. It was okay. an old Rogers kit. I wish I kept that thing. It was cool. Yeah. It's the old 60s Rogers kit. That's awesome. But, you know, I used to get in trouble in my apartment complex. It's <laughs> oh, <my laughs> just like making too much noise. But, um, you know, I still play occasionally, but I haven't played as much since my last band, Cirque of Atay, went out. I still um, have that album, actually. That yeah, was really when, fun. I, that that band was 2009 was, or something like that? Uh, was that ago. was 2008 was the first one, and then we did another one in 2010. Mm. But... um. I personally, I like the first one better. They both have their own things, but the first one was just weird and like really interesting influences. Everybody in the band was just like, what are we supposed to do with this? Let's, you know, it was just really fresh. And the second one we had, we had more of a plan and it was kind of like, you know, when you have a plan, it becomes like a theme. Yeah. And I feel like the first one just being weird and thrown together is why I love it. Just a little more organic. Yeah. It's just, well, yeah. I mean, it's, you guys be the judge, but I mean, <laughs> we haven't really been doing a good job of like promoting it or anything. I don't even think the first album's available anywhere mm. other than Gemendo. Do you know about Gemendo? No. It's this cool website out of Luxembourg that offers Creative Commons licensed music. And people are putting up tons of stuff on there all the time. They've got millions of tracks and our that first Cirque of Atay album has been listened to over 500,000 times. Holy shit. Yeah, and it's been downloaded over like 3,000 times. And it's all free. Um, and people can license the music too. And we've actually gotten paid from people using our songs in YouTube ads and whatever. Awesome. That's so, great. So, Gemendo, you should check it out. Because it's, I mean, it's international. And you have to be willing to license it with Creative Commons versus copyright. Mm. So depending on who you are and what you care about, that might be a weird thing. But Creative Commons is cool. I like it. But um, so that's there. Yeah, I I don't honestly know a ton about uh, the publishing side of things either. Yeah, that's the whole, I I mean, if you guys want to learn something about it, I went to this really crazy thing in New York City for a week. It's called CMJ, the College Music Mm. Journal. has this big, like, festival. They have 300 bands that they fly in from around the world, and there's a full week every night. There's just parties all over the city. You have a pass. You can go to any club that'll let you in with that pass and see whatever shows you want. And I saw some cool shows. But the whole time I was there, all day long, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at this college campus, they just had 13 or 14 different rooms with different panel discussions going on at all at the same time, there was a bunch of times where there was two of them going on at the same time I really wanted to see. So I'd be like running from one to the other and be like, okay, this is interesting. This is interesting. But it's really all about the publishing and promotion and festival booking and radio and getting your band over to Europe. And like, man, it was just, it was a whole lot of that kind of stuff. And I realized by being there at the end of the week, I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this shit. Like, yeah. I, it's nothing <laughs> yeah. I care about at all. Like those people are good at that stuff and I'm good at this stuff. Like, yep. because they would bring up things like EQ or whatever. And they were just like, <laughs> they had no idea what they were talking about. It was obvious. I was like, you guys stay with publishing. We'll stay with the engineering. <laughs> It'll be good. Yeah. But, you know, there there is something to be said for learning just enough that you can properly maintain your licensing. Like, because the way that you release your music into the world can have a long-term impact on where and how that music is able to be played. So, 
I suggest to everybody that you look into Creative Commons because I think that's the future of the copyright. I mean, I'm not using the term like copyright with a big C. I'm talking about the copyright, our rights to publish music is so archaic right now, especially in America, because all the laws that govern that have been written over a hundred years ago and they've been somewhat adapted once uh, popularized music really became the multi-billion dollar industry that it is back in the 70s and 80s some things were refined yeah. but it's all still heavy weighted towards big companies making most of the money whereas creative commons came online with the internet and says okay you as an individual have the right to put a copyright on your own work mm -hmm. in this kind of fashion that lets the world know I'm giving you permission to do A, B, or C with this music. There's three different types of Creative Commons licenses. You can have like non-commercial attribution so somebody can use it for non-commercial interests without having to get permission. Mm. Then it has commercial attribution where they can use it but they have to pay you. <laughs> and then there's non-commercial and for whatever purpose they want kind of thing. You, mm. they, don't, they don't even have to like do anything. So there's different ways that you can allow your music to be used in the world just by putting a Creative Commons stamp on it rather than a copyright. But because there are some things like ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC yep. that require you to use copyright, you can't use their systems to get paid if you don't have a copyright on that music. So you, you kind of have to pick one. You can't do copyright and Creative Commons. You just have to say, I want my music under Creative Commons or I want it under copyright. And I mean... That's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, th it is. It's, it's mind-bogglingly boring and stupid. But for people who care, it's a really good thing to like look into just so you understand it enough to know you're not getting fucked over. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, But... And that's another thing that I learned from that whole experience is that if you are a self-promoting musician, you have to join up with one of those PROs, the performing rights organizations, because they will work their ass off to get you paid for any time anybody uses your music. So and ASCAP, I, I, I BMI. like that, but I also am kind of, uh, in a way, not stoked on, on those because uh, like I've known people who uh, DJed in little bars or whatever and um you know their 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 tuesday night weekly thing gets killed and the venue gets fined a bunch of money because they didn't like pay up to ascap or whatever and they played an ascap artist and there's you know right. vinyl rotation and it's like fuck off man <laughs> yeah. i'm spinning music like, right well and, and it's like i get it when you're you know putting something in your commercial or in your youtube video or something but like yeah man, all of that you, i agree like, but i also think that there's like a laissez-faire attitude towards bars in general and i know you and i have a similar attitude about this but bars i do think should be held to a higher standard for what they're able to get away with because they're making money hand over fist selling poison yeah for, for one and then they're playing music that we've worked really hard on making and we're not making a dime from Something's fucked up with that. So I do think at the same time, like going after a small DJ who's just trying to do his Tuesday night gig, there's a line crosser because he's a creative artist too. Definitely. A DJ is creating some music. Even if they're using other people's beats and, and music styles to mix things together, that's definitely a new art form. But I, like the bar itself should pay 
to have the license. It's not a big fee either. The, mm. the, the fees to pay ASCAP or BMI or CSAC are menial compared to their overall expenses. And I know because I owned a cafe for a while yeah. and I know what those expenses are. And to pay ASCAP or BMI to be able to play music in your place is dirt cheap. So anybody who's whining about it can suck my dick. Like seriously. Like, <laughs> See, I heard this from the actual <laughs> DJ, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the DJ but... shouldn't be being penalized at all. It's the venue. The venue is the one that's responsible for music that gets played in their public space. Yeah. Because that's the thing is like if you just had a movie going in the back room or whatever and people were sitting watching a movie, there would be the same kind of organization for the movie industry coming down on you. See what I mean? Like I, you're... I do. I get it. I also just kind of don't buy into it like you, you don't know have what to? like like my music i sell the physical products and on the same page you can click to just download it for free every fucking thing i've ever made right because i don't think like i understand everybody's trying to make a living but do you want it hurt or not you know because if you're not on a major definitely you're but- not getting that I, I push, think, you know, so why not make it as easy as possible for people to hear your music? But I, I mean, know. if let's say a bar that makes, you know, somewhere between two and three, five thousand dollars a night, who knows? Different bars make a bunch yeah. of different money. They make something. What would that be? That's probably something close to 50 to to $100,000 a month. And the fee for ASCAP or BMI to play music in that place is like four hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. No. Get I, out of here! Like that's. Ridiculous. I just mean from the artist perspective. But the artist, we're, see, the thing is, most artists, in my opinion, most mm-hmm. artists don't even understand that this is out there. I have friends that are making eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a month from their music being played just because they bothered to license their stuff through ASCAP and BMI. Mm. That's it. That's all you have to do is sign up with one of those organizations and they take care of getting you paid. So it's like they're on your side. ASCAP and BMI are nonprofits. CSAC's actually my favorite and they are a for-profit, but they work harder. They're the smallest company and they Mm. work their ass off for you as an artist. PROs are there representing artists to make sure that artists get paid. So... I'm more on the side of artists getting paid than I am on the side of bars and DJs having to pay a little bit to play music. You know, like I would much rather see the content creators get the benefit of their labor. I feel you. But I mean, we could go round and round about it because there is, I'm not saying that your points are Well, no, I'm, I'm fairly ignorant to it. I just also have a, a, a more relaxed, yeah. you know version of that for myself and that's fine you know and you're the type but i'm of person, also broke as hell right? i've been doing this for <laughs> almost 20 years so yeah you're the type of person that should really learn about that stuff specifically because of how prolific you are you have so much music out there in the world that if you licensed all that stuff correctly with an organization that's out there to help you i mean you'd probably be making an extra i don't know three to five hundred bucks a month just by all the plays that it's getting somewhere on the internet or somewhere in bars or every time you play a show, you know, just look into it because everybody should do that. I think every independent artist should definitely get on that bandwagon because how else are you going to get paid? I mean, what other options are we given unless you get a deal, which is going to fuck you over anyway, with most cases with a record label, the only other option you have is to sync rights your music to TV commercials or the background of a TV show or a film or something. If you can get lucky enough, I mean, if you can get that, that's money. That's good stuff. Everybody I know is making 
their money just touring and selling right. merch hand that's to hand number to hand. one obviously and, but but the people one. who do get those those licensing uh, uh deals you know uh you know get a clip played in the back of a fucking mtv reality show or something you know exactly it's like that's gonna feed you for months <laughs> that's what i'm saying is like that stuff is worth doing if you if you care and it's not like you have to penalize your other listeners you can still offer that music as a free download well but it's here's the other a, thing here's the other yeah. concern for a guy like me who is in underground rap because um traditionally this is a style of music that embraces sampling right you know and as you were saying the archaic law is pretty behind the times and True. does not allow for that shit so if if uh i'm i'm not going to say what percentage of my records or whatever but like you know if i have a couple songs even on an album that feature samples and then i go to license this with a publishing company i can't Theoretically, yeah, you might come into some problems. Because I'm showing it to the very people who are fighting to get that shit shut down. But you know? on the other hand, if you decide to go the other route that I was talking about and get Creative Commons licensing, uh-huh. and the beats that you use have Creative Commons licensing, then there's no problem. Yeah, but that's, that's if you're sampling shit from like 2013, 2014, you know. Newer music is being established with those rules, but if and some I old mean, some there's there's some libraries that have been re-released under Creative Commons. I okay. mean, there, there's more of stuff from way back, but I mean, yeah, I know if you're like trying to get the sample from like Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique, or something, like you want to get a good hook. Well, in a record like that can't be made today exactly that's what i'm saying Um, is like you are still going to have the problems that those guys faced back in the 90s man like it's still there so i get you but at the same time like if there is if there is interest and there is like somebody who wants to use your song you can it might be worth working around those hurdles you might be able to get permission to use those samples in that case, I don't know. It might hmm. be worth looking into if if some if some movie producers like stand there with a ten thousand dollar check in their hand, you should figure that shit out <laughs> and make sure you get you know. Because that's what I'm saying. I have a friend who got a song on on one of those dance competition shows. Oh, really? They cut him a check for ten grand. Boom! Wow! Just like boom! And I was like, ah, like oh my god, that's amazing. Everybody should be trying to do this. That's so funny that you can't. You can't sell a ten dollar CD, but you can sell a ten thousand dollar song. Exactly. That that's the thing is like as an independent artist, I think everybody needs to broaden their horizons. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. I don't want to like bicker and argue because we both know that copyright law is way outdated, and people are totally fucking with all sorts of mind trips and powering up with big name lawyers and big agencies and stuff like that like yeah. all that stuff is really Su- going suing on suing people for right pastiche or homage of of a style and totally. it's ridiculous but uh didn't that just I, happen it did, did. Yeah. it did um robin thick right got sued robin by marvin gay right if you listen to him you're like i mean i can yeah sorry but no but no <laughs> like, I mean, yeah but no marvin uh, would probably like, be pissed about it yeah actually. and i you think about the artists you must have a different opinion than than their estates like uh i remember when um stadium arcadium came out red hot chili peppers got uh i don't know if they actually got sued 
um, but they were uh, in some hot water over his uh, John Frusciante's guitar solo because the first the opening line was a, a kind of an homage to Hendrix. It just went and it was just a little Hendrix, uh, you know, a little tip of the hat to him. Um, and this whole entire solo was extraordinary and had nothing to do with it. But but the little intro part, he played that that he repeated that little a couple times, and they thought, no, can't do that, man. And Tom Petty got uh, on the same song because, uh, oh, that chord progression is too close to... It was like, are you guys fucking kidding me? Like, how many times are we going to use I mean, we're, different we're dealing chords with, in a row? I mean, Western music, there's only 12 notes, yeah. man. Yep. <laughs> like, what are, we, it's insane. what are we talking about here? Don't even get me started. Well, all this shit's great because... <laughs> and this is exactly why I wanted to have you on here because... Um, I, I feel like this, this first batch of episodes I did in the last several months, we focused a lot on, on one area, primarily, uh, you know, people in my scene in the underground hip hop community. And there's so much more to, uh, what goes into being an independent musician, you know? So these, these conversations are great. Even if we don't necessarily get to the, the answer or whatever, it's like, these are things that we all should probably think about. And someone like me, I'm not even, these things aren't even on my radar and I really should probably reel it in and, and, and take the time to make the, an educated decision. I mean, if it makes your eyes bleed, forget about <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't worry about it. But, but I mean, if it's like pulling teeth or doing taxes, it's not for you. Yeah. But one of the things in that world, because we, we touched on it for a second, I just want to say MP3s suck for reproducing stuff. So if you're an artist that is sampling other people's music or you're taking YouTube riffs or oh, whatever, yeah. if you're downloading it as an MP3, chances are whoever uploaded that file uploaded it as an MP3 to begin with. And it's gotten two different stages of that um, algorithmic compression, which is not what was meant to happen. And then if you change formats, like let's say you find a beat that you really like, you take a chunk of it, you put it into your song as a sample in the background and you're doing your thing over it, you mix that down and then somebody else rips that to an iTunes file. That's (laughs) got a different form that's got AAC kind of compression on it. So you have two different kinds of lossy compression formats going on at the same time. It's no bueno. So like that is the biggest danger from a technical sound standpoint that I come across when I'm doing hip hop for people. Like Mm. I've mastered a bunch of stuff where once I got it in there, I was like, Ooh, this is not going to translate well. If there's any way you guys can go back to the mix stage and ask the beat producer for a wave or something that's been uncompressed. And there's been a few times people could actually do that. Sometimes you can't get a hold of people, but that's my biggest bit of advice is if you can if you like a beat on YouTube that's meant to be heard as a beat on YouTube see if you can contact the beat producer to get a full quality file to work yeah. with it'll be way way better and like, i i've actually made that mistake myself back in the EPD days uh the record after the one i made with you the first one i did with Eric Munch he did excellent work and he spent a lot of time on it and we were really proud of it and I got it home and, and I had the master CDR and I, I ripped it into my computer with some like primitive Nero, uh, whatever it was, <laughs> software um, to, to, to copy it. And um, it like ripped 
at some really low rate file and I went, oh no, I want to make that, uh, I wanted a wave file, like I did did it by mistake. And so it had a thing to convert. And so I converted upward and oh, then we burned man. it from that. And that's rough. I never recovered the, like, all of the ones that we sold had that shitty fucking sound from my home computer. <laughs> and I, to this day, I can't find the master of it. He, uh, he doesn't have it. And he was like, dude, you fucking ruined that record, yeah, man. man. Like, uh, so, but so, I don't think you're alone. There was a whole time period where people didn't know that was happening. And yeah. I, blame, I blame those software engineers who made those kinds of ripping softwares because that's a bullshit, Yeah, when man. the defaults are at like yeah. 128 Come and on. Uh, MP3 and you're going, oh, this doesn't sound... Oh, yeah, that's right. It should have been a WAV file. So then you do it again from that. And it's like, no, fuck. Uh, so I've I've definitely made that mistake, and I've definitely uh, at at times sampled a thing that um, I should have just ripped from the original source, you know, that I had, and I was lazy or something like that. And yeah. every time when you get the final product, you hear it, and you're like, ah, shit, <sighs> I could have done better. Yeah, but but I mean, that's there's that's also the, the thing process. is some people just don't care. Like, so True. that's fine too. True, if you really don't care, but. You know, but if they didn't care at all, they wouldn't be hiring you and I to uh, fix it for them. Right. <laughs> and that's that's also the thing is that if you're going to put money into something and you want it to stand up to the test of time, it's like when you're releasing your art, you're kind of putting your art into the catalog of human history. You know, it's like I like whenever I put something into that, I want to make sure that it's standing tall. You know, yeah. it's not it's not going to be knocked off at the knees because of some format error or you know some sort of bullshit whatever the reason i want it to stand on its own two feet with the rest of the recorded works of humanity like that's yeah. the way i look at my projects i want everything to sound awesome but you know some people are like whatever it's just you know underground hip-hop who cares or whatever but i still think some of my favorite work was underground hip-hop that sounds ridiculously amazing yeah. so like you can have it be underground and still sound awesome yeah i i give my friends shit if they like if we got the merch table set up yeah. you know and i got my books and my shirts and my you know cds all packaged up looking nice and then they got their cdr in a slim case with the sharpie on the cover and i go Come on, man, man. I haven't done this since high school, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> really? Like, your songs are so good. Like, come into my place, man. I want to make a record for you. You know, like, please. They deserve more than what you're giving it. And uh, I totally I totally feel that way. As if you're putting it out, you want it to stand on its own. And uh, I, I actually remember a, a DJ Shadow saying something like that in a documentary that um, he was in this basement of this record store that uh, they used to always tell him, oh, check out the basement, check out the basement. So they did his interview down there, and it's just records to the ceiling as far back as you can see, you know. And, and I think I like, saw that. Yeah, he said, this is a little pile of broken dreams in here, you know. This is, uh, he's like, you know, no matter who you are, someday, you know, your your music is going to be in the, you know, the collection like this. It's going to be out there, you know. And uh, he he was saying that as it being humbling, like I'm, you know, going to be part of this history someday. Yeah, man. Speaking of old school, did you hear that Diggable Planets just got back together and did a show in Seattle? I was like, no, holy shit. They were one of my favorite back in the day. So I'm really excited. I hope they do a tour. I want to see them. I don't know if you know their stuff, but man, that was some really good, legit, conscious hip hop. 
I mean, they were a little bit into the drug scene, though. They were like, I think those guys were into heroin back in the day, which is Jesus. weird. Yeah, but that's but their music was really unusual. Uh, let me give it that. It's uh, it was like New York early '90s weird. It's really good. So if you haven't heard it, but they they just got back together. I haven't together, heard much to be honest, and I, I want to go see. Heard it, it passing, but yeah. <laughs> okay, check it. Blowout okay. comb. It's probably the best of all the ones that I heard. Okay. Blowout comes dope. And anybody listening to this, you probably need to listen to that too. All right. So before we (laughs) wrap up, I want to ask one last question. Um, As uh, uh, another one of your entrepreneurial uh, projects, um, I was a fan of of, uh, you and your wife. Uh, it's Emily, right? Yeah. Uh, Divine Cupcake. Uh, yeah. A, a while back, is that still going on? Is like a, a yeah. We actually thing, sold the business to oh, okay. a new couple who's they actually just opened up a new cafe out in Springfield. Nice it's on Q Street. So th- I hope they do really well. I hope they do better than we did. They you know take it to the next level, baby. You know, like I just got to a point in my life where I was like, you know what, I can't do so many things. Like I got a studio trying to start a mastering business. I got a son and I got this cupcake thing. Like, get out of here. Like, yeah. something's going to pop. So I just decided to move on from that. And I'm really thankful that I was able to find a couple of people that really wanted to take it on and make it theirs. But this mastering thing is really where my heart's at right now. Sprout City's still going strong. I was just there right before coming. I'm going back there right now. Um, but if you wouldn't mind mentioning liquidmastering.com is my my mastering thing. So of course. that's what yeah. I'm doing. Broadcity.com and liquidmastering. Liquidmastering.com. Yeah, and I you know, I'm really affordable. I'm $8 a finished minute for mastering. So like whatever the total length of the material is, just times that by 8 and I have a one-time setup fee. So it works out like um the longer the song is, the less that setup fee means or the longer the album. So if you do a one song three and a half minute it's eight dollars a minute times three and a half plus one time setup fee of 35 that ends up being more cost of that whole song of the setup fee than if you did eight songs because that setup fee is still only 35 so 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 it pays to do a a, right an lp or an ep as opposed to a single yeah but it's still only around 60 bucks for a single so it's really it's I, i i set it to be affordable so that I could get my name out there and, you know, eventually I'm going to have to raise my rates because, you know, I, it's just buying too much expensive shit. So, do you, but, do you give a price break to doom metal? I, you know, <laughs> I haven't done any doom metal yet. I would love to do some doom metal. 25 Somebody, minute tracks. Yeah. Tw- <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. That's why I, actually, that's why I went to a by the minute standard because it's hard to say like per song because sometimes yeah, people my br- band has 45 second songs. That man. wouldn't be fair. Right. Yeah. You know? So if you just price it off the minute, it just makes a lot more sense to me. Good and call. I think people have been happy about it. So, and plus it's easy to do the calculation. You just say, oh, okay, however many minutes times eight. Yep. And then boom. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really it about that. Cool, man. Well, Once uh, I got the studio up, I'll let you know. It's yeah. Almost yeah. there. Love to see it. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to sit with me yeah. and chat. And, Stoked uh, to be here. Check out Sprout City Studios and Liquid Mastering. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you guys like the change in direction this time. I'm going to try to keep mixing it up and keeping things interesting and, and fresh. Different uh, 
types of music, different roles therein, whether the writers, the performers, the beat makers, the MCs, the studio engineers, etc. I'm going to leave you with a special track. This uh, one of my favorite collaborations I've ever done is with my old band This Day's In. We recorded it live at Sprout City back in the day, around 2006, I think. Vocals and, and mixing done here at Take 92 with Eric Munch and myself. Um, this song is called Let's Take It Back.